you're trying to convince people that the media is just a bunch of a bunch of fucking spectacle and to ignore it and not let them psych you out. Well, I mean, but that didn't happen and it didn't happen. No, it didn't happen, but it it didn't happen here either. But you know what? That's going to have to be the thing that we do. Like, sorry, it didn't happen last time. Sorry, it didn't happen this time. But that's the thing. Yes, it didn't work that time. It didn't work this other time. But that is the challenge. It's going to be hard and we're not going to succeed at it most of the time. But you keep doing it. The question I just have is, who are we talking to? Are we talking to like, and let's talk about America specifically, like clearly a a majority of like an absolute majority of Democratic primary voters, the people who vote in Democratic primaries, if they didn't believe what the mainstream media was saying about Bernie, they took the message from it that he was unelectable. It's in either way, he was not an option for them, no matter what he said. And then there's the other group of people uh, who we were hoping to get the people who are not. Uh, taking their cues from the media, either by believing what they say or take or taking their attitude towards Sanders as like uh, an indication of his viability. And they did not and not enough of them were reached to to be mobilized to to vote for him. So where because if the because whatever your uh, rhetorical attitude is going to be different depending on which group of people you're talking to. Yeah. So which obviously. one are the, which but, one are the ones that we should? Which I guess the question is which one, which group of people is the one that maybe in retrospect should have been uh, more addressed more explicitly with a, with a specific message, or in the future should be. I think the latter, just because, and I'm not saying this is a moral position, just because I think they're the bigger group of people. Right, but we've seen that even though they're a bigger group, they are harder to reach. Well, we're trying for a harder task. Right. But We're doing got, something I, hard. Yeah. No one wants to hear that. Like you're going to fail like nine times out of 10. Because well, right. It's very I mean, hard. People do want to have to, they need some sort of, I mean, yeah, they might know they're going to fail, but they need to know that they could win. Well, I'm telling you, we can win. <laughs> All right. But I guess I, what's the, what's the, like, how do you get to the people who have decided that politics is not real for good reason? I mean, people, it's, who, I, who saw the Sanders campaign and were completely unmoved by any part of it. I don't have, like, that kind of alchemy. Will, what what did we just listen to? (laughs) So that was Chapo Trap House reflecting on Bernie dropping out of the race. Reflecting might not be the right word. Basically reiterating everything that they believed before the race uh, is probably a little bit more accurate. Um, This stood out to me as a kind of paradigmic, example of what a lot of the reactions from the Marxist left that I've been seeing have been. It's just, they, they disagree, but they there is consensus on on a kind of a hopelessness. And Amber just kind of takes a different, you know, attitude towards it, which is basically that leftists need to just toughen up and, and keep going. It's interesting because I think what you've, what, what you said just there sort of crystallizes, um, you know, pun intended, perhaps, uh, crystallizes the why we're talking to each other right now, which is that it seems like the guiding response to Bernie's loss, you know, if we can call it that, um, has been hopelessness and a, and a real inability to articulate a theoretical and political path forward for the left in the U.S. that isn't a sort of retrenchment or or a reduction of its scale and aspirations. And um, on mm-hmm. on superstructure, you know, which 
I suppose we could take a bit to explain the title as well. Um, <laughs> we uh, we reject that vision, and we think that it it's one which, because politics never stops, it's one which will actually condition and produce a set of outcomes that are radical, but uh, quite destructive. Right. The, uh, the name superstructure is something that for Marxists, I think, probably immediately sounds like a huge self-own, but that's kind of why we're doing it, because I, I feel like what's guiding this response is the idea that that ideas are the yeah. problem or they're a mm-hmm. distraction. And the media is basically it's a distraction that you need to ignore and keep. Yeah, right. Um, and, and everything that isn't uh, a grind, basically, is is a spectacle. Uh, and that's this is actually something that, that goes pretty deep into kind of the core of uh, of Marxism, which, you know, really is this skepticism of of ideas, of thought, of communication, of, of everything that is not this sort of class struggle by sheer numbers and force that there's no way around it except, you know, having exponentially increasing our, you know, number of people that we have phone banking and you know, things like that. And, that, you know, none of those things are, are wrong or bad to do necessarily, but it does create this reaction to what I think should be looked at as, as an ideological loss mm. as well as a literal loss. It creates a reaction to it that's sort of like, well, that was our one chance after these 30-year cycles where the left gets a chance to, to win, basically, by doing the same thing. And if there are lessons that they want to take away from it, they're going to be, you know, kind of slight adjustments. <laughs> There's no, no new theory creation is is on the table and max you and i come from you know different backgrounds a little bit but we're in the same milieu which is you know modern monetary theory and basically the idea that this is a new paradigm that actually opens up a lot of new uh a lot of new political opportunities that we wouldn't see before another way of putting it is it opens the left to alchemy (laughs) it opens the left to um to a sort of magical thinking but i don't use that in in a, in a it's reductive like negative terms i think it opens the left right. to the possibility of creating things out of thin air which is what money right is and, it, and it's a political creation throughout and so yeah it's interesting to to hear and and to to have so clearly encapsulated in the discussions around bernie's loss this sort of well, you know, we're going to lose and we're going to lose most of the time, but we need to ignore the spectacle and we need to keep, I mean, it's, right. it's essentially a, I mean, it, it deconstructs itself, right? The reason why we lose is because we ignore the spectacle. We still, we're, we're trying to reject alchemy. Um, and if we think of it along those terms and if we think it about, you know, the ability to 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 actually exert political power over the spectacle and to to actually reject the very concept of the spectacle in the first place, which is what mm-hmm. 
I mean, we we could easily call call this podcast the spectacle as well as, or, you know, rather than right. the superstructure, which is to say... Maybe we should. Maybe we we should. haven't released this yeah, yet. Yeah. Uh, which is to say, ultimately, that the new paradigm has to be... We have to be imminent, right? And, and I, I'm normally someone who, in, in my work and my thinking, rejects philosophical imminence. But the left lacks a real imminence to the spectacle and to the quote-unquote superstructure is that it assumes the solutions, the sort of utopian aspirations, or even just pragmatic aspirations of a left political project is about getting outside of money, getting outside of these social relations that we all share and participate in. At a, on a daily level we have to just ignore the media we have to you know we have to ignore all that stuff and go to the the place where power rises from right and this is this is like on the other end a, a sort of critique of mm-hmm. uh this sort of philosophical category of imminence which would posit that they're reducing it down the source of of being as such is is uh, not just the material, but it it sort of reduces down to this sort of fundamental level with which power rises up, right? Right. Ground up. And everything else on top is pure domination. It's biopolitics. It's all these things. And that, that you know, we can, mm-hmm. we can talk more about that at length. But I think f- it's important to frame what we see this podcast being as, as an intervention into the realm of praxis and, and, and the, what a left mm-hmm. political praxis means um, for at the aesthetic level, at the, at the economic level, at the, the level of struggle to say that we ignore our leverage and the, the capacity to build just uh, inclusive structures, social structures at our own peril because we, we can't ultimately get outside them, right? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the sort of the, the, lamenting, the lamenting history of critical theory is we can't get outside them. So we have to work through them. And it's one thing to pay homage to well, we can try to work through them or to set up these like binaries of electoralism versus immediate class struggle. But ultimately, electoralism or immediate class struggle, it's all political and it's all inside the structures of society as such. And so strategically, Mm -hmm. we have to work with ideas and we have to work with material struggle. They have to be linked and, and strategically leveraged. And so... What, what Chapo and the sort of Chapo Jacobin left lens has done is set up this imagination that Bernie was it because Bernie leveraged our only theoretical apparatus to its nth degree and it failed. And right. So what is there to do now? Yeah, and 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 the the failure basically it, it takes the form of you know like a sandcastle getting knocked over or something <laughs> you know like it, it it really is like 
we have to start all over, you know, with this kind of building this like Katamari ball of working class power that the reason that, you know, they, they use uh, visuals like, you know, rising and, you know, bottom up and these things is because it, their appeals to, you know, to physics and, and things that, that don't involve ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, I, ideas, the reason that they think ideas are spectacle is because they believe that power essentially is totally imminent and the, the ideas are, are secondary, you know, like whoever's the biggest guy on the block is gonna get to decide what all the ideas are and then we're all going to be kind of consuming them or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. But un, un, until we, until we kind of, you know, take over through this mindless and demoralizing thing that we try again every three decades when there's an opening. Um, yeah. 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 And I think it's also important to say like, we're not Hegelians. Like mm-hmm. we're not trying to, to retrench and say, well, you know, we reject materialism and blah, blah, blah. I think, Another way to put this, which is to say that if Marx wanted to keep the dialectic of, and and essentially keep the, the, the idea of universal particularity, what we're trying to do is to take what materialism is and think with how the material and, and the idea constitute and mutually constitute one another which is sort of in the spirit of marx right it's in the spirit of marx but it's important to say that fundamentally speaking there's a anti-teleological um core to this project that that we share and and obviously we're not in any way the, Mm the sort of origins of the of this um but there, there's some yeah, and by by anti teleological, um, <laughs> you, you you mean that we're you know we're we're against the the idea of a predestined uh, path that we're on a gravitational drift. That's towards. right, right. I mean, <laughs> right, and in, in, in a way that um, that erases the the kind of conscious world making that we do through, you know, not literally just through coming up with ideas. Anybody can come up with an idea, but it it is nevertheless ideas that tell people what ideas that condition what people believe is materially possible. Uh, And so the ideas are organizing the the material world. Ideas in a certain sense, you know, once they're uh, (laughs) established and become going concerns that are, you know, reproduced along with the rest of society, you have something where what Marxists believe is the superstructure, this kind of passive reflection of our material circumstances, you know, you, you actually, you, you would have, uh, you know, some of those things should constitute the base as well. Um, the, the superstructure is the base, the <laughs> I guess is, is another base, way of putting and, it. You know, unless, unless we realize that and, and invert that structure, I mean, and again, we're being perhaps a bit cheekily imminent here, um, we might even reject mm. the binary as such, but until we we uh, we leverage political agency through an ideological formation as a as a process of political creation, we on all fronts, right? On all fronts, we uh, we won't have a cohesive and universal 
project, right? I mean, that's that's been the left's fracturing problem since since the beginning. But I, I think we've opined on this uh, enough, and <laughs> I, you know, it could be useful then to go into a few examples of how this sort of idea is manifesting that this one that we're critiquing that is sort of encapsulated in that Chapo clip throughout uh, other facets of the sort of dominant left media structure. Yeah. Um, so part, part of what I wanted to do is survey the landscape a little bit uh, just because it, it seems like we're, we're at a breaking point now where they, they feel like, okay, the left has lost. We need to look around ourselves materially and see, you know, who's there that we can build a coalition with, you know, being real politic and pragmatic and all of that kind of thing. Um, and what, you know, what you end up with basically is, well, it's, it's all the Trump people, <laughs> right? Um, like it's, you know, and, and maybe not literally diehard MAGA people, but there, there is an idea that to the extent that it's successful uh, to, to rail against identity politics and quote-unquote wokeness, then that's, that's something that the left should do if it wants to be relevant, because that's just kind of how, how everybody is, is thinking already. And I, I don't think that there's really a better example of that right now. The, the most advanced case of the sickness, <laughs> I guess I would say, is Rising, the show um, on YouTube from Hill TV. Seems to have tapped into a lot of like the Young Turks audience, some Bernie people, some some conservatives, but m mostly it's 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 like a crossfire esque show that has a quote left wing populist and right wing populist debating for a mostly pro Bernie audience that is basically being warmed up to the idea that the real necessary discourse in order for the left to have any power is going to be debating in good faith. Uh, with quote unquote right wing popular. Who hosts that show again? <laughs> so, um, so Crystal Ball is a uh, former MSNBC person. She, um, she is the left populist. The right populist is Sagar and Jetty, who is a former Daily Caller person. The Daily Caller is, uh, the media outlet that Tucker Carlson founded. Um, they've, uh, had a couple of official crossovers with Tucker Carlson now where Crystal will go on Tucker's show and kind of do a like, you know, I'm just at my wits end with the bad parts of the left. And then they'll, you know, kind of commiserate on, you know, the anti-identity politics or hating corporate Democrats or, or something like that. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you, you can, you can hear the, the basic structure of what Sagar says a lot representing right-wing populism you know is is the sort of idea of uh economics being about trade-offs and that mapping onto something like immigration where you can't let you know migrants into the country because they'll drive down wages and harm the working class and, and of course there's a long history of leftist kind of flirtations with with this sort of idea, um, it's, it's, you know, it's important uh, to say that Bernie is not outside of this, right? Bernie is also culpable yeah, on these terms right. too. Completely, yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he said open borders was a Koch brothers yeah. proposal. You know, blah blah blah. Um, and to the extent that Bernie is better on it, 
it's because he he stakes the entire claim that it's possible to be to to have open or almost open borders during times when it is possible because we're just doing so well economically right. that it's it's not going to be like you know a, a big loss for us. So Jacobin had a review of their show, which I, which I think just kind of in, encapsulates what. I'm concerned the kind of institutional left's reaction is going to be to these kind of flirtations with with red brownism. So he uh the reviewer talks first about Crystal, you know, then about Sagar. He says he has nothing but good things to say about Crystal. And then Sagar says repeatedly Sagar warns us that the electoral failure of the American left will be economic progressives kowtowing to woke identitarians. I agree with him. This is a Jacobin <laughs> author. <laughs> says I, yeah. Um, but that's, but what's maybe more important is that I agree because like Sagar, I suspect I want the left to win. Is Sagar a secret Bernie bro receiving late night directives from Jeff Weaver in undisclosed DC parking garages? You know, and then goes, you know, I think not, but he can't figure out why this guy who keeps, you know, sprinkling in that he's a Republican who used to work for Tucker Carlson is sounding a lot like a Marxist to him. <laughs> um, and it's, it's bad. And then, and then later in, in the review, he says, um, you're talking about crystal ball again and the consensus between them, quote, Ball's arm-length relationship with socialism might have something to do with one area where she and Sagar agree most. Not on markets, nor the role of government, but on the invidiousness of identity politics. Unlike many millennial left-wingers, you notice the word millennial is, is always used as a modifier to children. imply that, you know, these are university yeah. students. Yeah, they're children, basically. They're superstructure. <laughs> um, Ball is completely uninterested in identitarian pandering. She loathes it. And part of Rising's successful formula is that the hosts reject the, quote, woke culture war approach to politics that so many of the, oh, God, is that so many on the young, hip, Brooklyn by Oakland left mistake for oh, politics. Gosh, Brooklyn by Oakland is one of the most heinous. Ugh. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I mean, it's brutal. It's also just really funny whenever Jacobin, you know, kind of does it's just you can just feel the self loathing Yeah, the cosmopolitan. <laughs> you know? We we are the cosmopolitan elites. Like that's the yeah. Yikes! We have to check ourselves that we're not that that our globalist roots <laughs> aren't going to betray the working class. It's so funny because this actually reminds me, and it's something that the left spent so long making fun of. Is mm. this like this really reminds me of the sort of JD Vance? Um, kind of hillbilly elegy in reverse, right? So after 2016, the liberal uh, wing of the Democratic Party really thought, oh, well, we haven't been listening to these, you know, these white working class voters in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and in Ohio, and we have to go <laughs> on the ground and we have to give them a voice, right? We have to, we have to look at them with nuance and really take into consideration why they hate black and brown people so much. And, you know, obviously, like, that, that this is all not to say that we shouldn't take everyone into consideration and that mm -hmm. symptoms and, and, and racism isn't filtered through an entire social structure of scarcity and ideology that can be, that can be addressed at its roots, right? Which is not... It's, that's not what that is. It's it's about naturalizing and reifying the 
ideological and economic quote-unquote realities that a left political movement right. has to address. And to to say that, oh, okay, the Brooklyn and Oakland left woke identitarian <laughs> Brooklyn, by, Brooklyn Oakland. by Oakland excuse excuse me for not paying homage to the literary sophistication um, <laughs> the Brooklyn by Oakland elite the Brooklyn by Oakland sort of woke identitarian left needs to take a back seat like I don't know I mean it's one of those things that as you're suggesting if if the Daily Caller and Jacobin are agreeing and if you really can't see why that's a problem <laughs> i i really right. that's a that's a that's a bad sign and that's it's a and it comes down to this question of the spectacle and ignoring the superstructure and ignoring ignoring identity identity politics and the alchemy associated mm-hmm. with a non class-based reductively class-based vision of mm-hmm. what dependence and what inclusion and what a sort of unified or universalist lens brings because the moment we start reducing to class we we, we start excluding right and they have a way that they talk about identity itself even though they they believe that identity is is bullshit, they they also seem to believe that it is scarce, <laughs> um, and that you need to um, protect the the identities of everybody that you need in order to win, and therefore you know you shouldn't alienate them with woke identity politics and you know blah blah blah. And of course, it, it all comes comes back to you know denying the the ability to just like they deny that you can create money and give it to people to, you know, build something new. They they similarly deny that you can paint a new picture of the world that includes everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um and there's and there's there's a connection, you know, between the fact that they think that that the world and everything in in our lives is is a scarce thing that we're fighting over and that therefore we all need to make make sacrifices for each other's interests which are opposed to each other. But ideally, you know, there's like some kind of a happy medium that we could find. And the idea that that politics itself is just kind of redistribution through either, you know, the dispersion between wages and salaries at the point of production or through taxation, basically. There's, yeah. there's just, there's no discussion on the left about building a new world. It's just fighting over the world that has already been created on uh, solely on the terms of people who had no intention of including everyone. Yeah. It's, it's such a great lens to think through it. I mean, we, one gets this sense that like the majority of the last sort of five years of U S politics has, I've has been a debate over um, whether we should be taxing whiteness to pay for, you know, a space for blackness or taxing blackness to pay for a space for whiteness. And obviously that we need to shatter that entire structure. And and I think, you know, something that probably is going to come up on this show as we move on more is is gender and and the question of of uh really the malleability 
of identi- identi- identity forms and, and mm-hmm. how that actually can be mapped back onto to economic formulations in a non-zero-sum way. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but that's just a sort of signpost for listeners to think about what what we can expect on this show. And I think now would perhaps be a good time to move to uh, another example of, of this sort of thinking. Yeah, so um, it's not even just the Marxist left. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, it is the Marxist left. There, you know, you have other podcasts like Red Scare, you know, that just had Steve Bannon on, um, you know, things like that. But even, even, even among people who are, you know, interested in fiscal policy as something that's constructive and, you know, and, and not just, uh, you know, redistributive, it's, you know, you still get this, this refrain that is basically this kind of the same sound finance logic you know, that, that they're applying to just culture and identity instead. So I, I wanted to read, read something from a really big Twitter thread that, that Thomas Fozzi, uh, had a couple, uh, a couple of months ago now. I think this was right after the big labor wipeout when, you know, kind of similar to what's happening in the U.S., you know, what was happening there is you had basically a bunch of Marxists who, you know, had kind of dug their heels in on defending zero-sum terms. And actually, before I, before I even get into Thomas Fozzi, I guess I should set it up with an article that James Medway wrote. James is a um, policy advisor to John McDonnell. Yeah, former, uh, former policy advisor to John McDonnell. Former policy advisor. Shadow chancellor for, yeah. for Corbyn's uh, opposition. Right. Yeah. And so I, I won't read the whole thing, but there there is a section that, that starts literally with the economy is a zero-sum game. The economy is a zero-sum game. This is the starting point. Understanding this was critical to the success of the 2017 manifesto. Failing to understand it was critical to the failure of 2019. The economy has grown weekly since uh, 2008. Real wages have not and public services have disintegrated. An economy that behaves like this, in which some people get richer, and but most very visibly not, is one in which the broad promise of growth has broken down. Many people perceive the economy to be, broadly speaking, a racket in which a minority at the top are doing well at the expense of others. And they are, broadly speaking, correct. So we have growth uh, in this finite world, but for some reason we're, we're getting all this economic growth and we're still, you know, just producing this shit world. So what, what he then gets to is where, where we would just be like, okay, well, maybe we should <laughs> talk about growth differently in a way mm-hmm. that's, you know, inclusive, he says. To see the economy like this is to see it as a zero-sum game whose brutal logic is this. I can only do better if somebody else does worse. If I want to be better off, someone else must be worse off. The political logic that follows from this is equally simple. To talk about winners, you first have to talk about losers. You will get a license to describe the new world you want to build (laughs) only if you first describe, to be blunt, how it will be paid for. Which is basically like, you know, you you only get to talk about the new world that you want to see if you put as a disclaimer that we're really just moving things around in the old world and, and not uh, not building anything new. And and it's so just mind-bogglingly, like, upsetting about this is the fact that this is how Nancy Pelosi views the world. Yeah. Right? This is, this is the Nancy Pelosi vision of the world. 
that's why you need Pago, right? I mean that, it, and and it's so. I mean, it's it's so interesting to think about it in in, in these terms because how do you then go to an electorate and say we want to, for example, build houses for the homeless and just and just just do that and and mm-hmm. give people who aren't you know who aren't who are rough sleepers as as it's called in the UK a place to a place a space to live and yeah in and, order and, to talk about that you have to first say whose space you're taking away exactly and so you right? have to tie the existence of of homeless people to to parasitism <laughs> and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the non-existence of someone else and and we have the space yeah we have the space i mean isn't that obvious and so it it's one of those you know i mean i think there's going to be a a sort of theme which is just the i am angry i am angry about the world and about these naturalizations of scarcity and that's going to come out because you know what the left you know sure the right they're reactionary they're racist they'd much rather kill half the earth mm-hmm. than seed any ground and have to be defeated but the left is reifying that worldview and that is deeply deeply upsetting for anyone who believes in any sense of universal justice and universal inclusion um, yeah, and it's it's one of those things that played out in the labor election, and you know, it, there's a way in which to be nuanced about it. It's it's sort of understandable, you know. You you tell a precarious polity that someone has to lose, someone has to lose. Of course, they're gonna think that it's them, right? And and these are people like. And, and that's not to say that the polity as such is, are the sort of middle class white cosmopolitans, right? I think, I think we even saw this playing out in Biden's popularity in the South. And, and I'd be interested to, to bring on more perspectives on this. But there's a lot to lose. Even for people who are marginalized, people have a lot to lose. And to tell them that we can't do anything better unless we lose... Right. Or that you're you're not really going to lose because there's this global financial elite that actually has all of the money. It's very easy then for that to, you know, obviously it begs, you know, the question of why aren't we retrenching into nationalism and yeah. national identity? Yeah. Uh, if the the core of all people could can more or less be OK, which is what the left is basically arguing then we're supposed to still be giving things up to external actors. Like yeah. it, the, the whole thing is, yeah. And it, it just, it paves the way for, um, for people to critique the, the Medway position on the ground, basically correctly pointing out that it's weak, <laughs> um, yeah. but in, in a way that affirms some sense of expansion, but only on the terms of, of the nation. Um, and one big example of this uh, that, that we saw is this guy, Thomas Fozzi, who is a, uh, he's a, you know, prominent MMT 
adjacent person. I think he would definitely identify himself as MMT, but we, we want to be clear that there's a distinction that, <laughs> that we're drawing here, you know, which is basically if, if you accept that money is boundless and, uh, abstractly mediated, uh, creation of society is boundless, then you can't keep talking about everybody's place in the world as if it's not also, <laughs> you know, like that, that also turns on whether or not we're choosing to use our boundless potential to give everybody space in the world. Um, mm -hmm. And Fozzie is a really good example of somebody who, you know, kind of mobilizes the rhetoric of, you know, the government could just deficit spend, but we've had that ability taken from us by the EU, which is, of course, true in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the narrative that comes out of it basically is that we've been alienated from our own sovereignty by the global elite. And what we need to do is un unlock the power of the nation state, but realize then, and this is kind of his sleight of hand, realize then that the nation state is dependent on, you know, a fixed, uh, you know, kind of cultural, a culturally fixed subject. And territorialized as well. Right. Yeah. So, so in this Twitter thread, he says, the woke left try likes to vilify the nation state, but all the major social, economic, and political advancements of the past century were achieved through the institutions of the democratic nation state not through international, multilateral, or supranational institutions. Which, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's, I, I'm pretty sure I can think of some, some examples of internationalist movements and internationally coordinated. No, 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 that, we're just going to, we'll pass right, right through that one. Yeah, actually, let's just skip over uh, that counterfactual. Um, <laughs> furthermore, modern concepts of natural identity, of national identity, you see a little Freudian slip there, yeah. <laughs> um, are, are incredibly progressive, based as they are on transcending individual particularities, sex, race, biology, religion, etc., to create cultural political identities based on participation equality, citizenship, and representation. I, I just, I love how kind of paradoxical <laughs> this, this little yeah, line is, yeah, you yeah. know, that, that we're, we're transcending individual particularities in order to create a universalism that's exclusive. Yeah, well, it's, it's just, so, yeah, it's an individual identity, particular social relation. That's what the, like, that's what the nation is. It's, you critique a internationalist vision that seeks to sort of, take these given forms which are ambivalent these nation states and sort of create some sort of universalist um project through and or in order to transcend them in order to just round down that same logic as a mode of justifying the exclusion which you ultimately want to conduct and it it's so funny to me and this also comes back down to the sort of midway like Essentially, he's teeing up fascism here, um, <laughs> right? Which is to say that you you're not gonna out exclude the right. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna out scarcity the right. I'm right. sorry, if, because if, they're the they're the ones who believe in manifest destiny and believe that you should yeah. take maximally in a zero sum situation. 
So, of course, they're going to be the ones who are making a more compelling vision than your fully costed, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> fully costed, fully automated luxury communism. Um, it, it, it's like, I mean, I'm sure there's there's many ways to metaphorically like render this this, this just complete absurdity of this vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially what the left has been trying to do is walk onto the field, right? He, Midway talks about, a, you know, the economy is a zero-sum game. And 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 it it's to accept that this thing called the economy is this sort of thing, right? Not, mm-hmm. not a social relation that we have agency at varying levels of the process over. Um, and to then say, okay, well, we're going to play your game on your your field and we're going to play your scarcity struggle game and on your terms and we're going to try and beat you where you have the advantage and the upper hand because Uh yeah sure we have these morals that they hamper us they make us strategically less effective they Uh make us worse at the game Right, which is, which, by is the way, which is such a repeating trope that you hear in all of the post yep. post mortems about Bernie. Yep, we're we're worse. We're not as we're not as uh, ruthless, right? I mean, right. I think Chapo has gone out about gone on about this about Hillary Clinton, just how ruthless she is. We're not as ruthless. We can't win this game. We lose most of the time because we don't have the alchemy <laughs> that the right does. But you know what that alchemy that the right has is is it's the, it's the full embodiment of the commitment to scarcity that the left is just is dabbling with and hoping that it can you know have a little have a little exclusion as a treat <laughs> with, with instead of rejecting the logic of exclusion in the first place and really taking on a non-zero sum vision that calls into question it really calls into question this is this is unsettling and i understand Mm-hmm. how unsettling this is the fact that all of these forms what constitutes the economy what constitutes growth what constitutes identity these are malleable these are up for debate these are not biological forms yeah well, right? well and, and I, would, course... I would stop you there and continue reading from Fozzie uh, <laughs> because he, he actually um he actually has a has a theory of national biology that i want to um get into uh, yeah he says while national identity is, of course, constantly evolving, the pace of the change is everything. When the national community perceives um, perceives the pace of change to be too fast, for example, a too rapid inflow of immigrants with very different cultural and social norms, it naturally, instinctively, like white blood cell, no, I'm just kidding, um, <laughs> instinctively reacts against the breakdown of social cohesion. Oh, and to equate this tr- this with racism is absurd. Yeah, and in case in case any of us were thinking about racism for some reason while well, he said that, he, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean it, that's a famously um, <laughs> borders. That's they're 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 good for the left. They're good for you know communities of color, right? Um, I, you know it's funny that there's one thing like we've been we've been shit talking a lot of. Uh, a lot of the sort of established left, um, but there, there is a a, uh, a segment of the American left that that has a sort of nuanced understanding, and you know, and most importantly, a historical understanding of yeah. the forces that have been at play here. And I'm thinking as well of of the likes of you know, some like Daniel Denver who hosts the Dig podcast and his book about how how the American border and the struggle for 
for um, not only not only immigrant rights but also um, indigenous rights as as a as a sort of function of of borders and territorialization has been the the crux of of the the left's fight for justice and it's been the crux of the rights project and uh, you mentioned manifest destiny i also think greg grant in despite uh, a lot of <laughs> problems that future I have friend of the show framing, greg grandin future yeah. future friend of the show greg grandin um uh, a lot of the problems he i have with his framing um also in, like historically captures this is, is that you know fozzy is not your friend blue labor is not your friend amber ailey frost red scare they're not your friend right these these are people who represent a uh, a segment of the quote-unquote left that will capitulate yeah to the daily caller they will they will sacrifice they will make pragmatic sacrifices mm-hmm. in order to quote-unquote attain power and you know historically speaking you know if you look to the weimar example if you look to other examples um, this this is not this is a sort of mode that has not turned out to be one that forwards the inclusive vision of what the left needs to represent and what we would will posit this sort of non-zero sum MMT inflected ideological project needs to represent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's just put simply it's it's a lot easier to defend your humanity if it's not on zero sum terms you know if if it's not on on the terms of i have a right to exist even you know even though that's going to bring down wages a little bit you know which is which is it, it's it's the position that that really good people on on the left and you know the reason why i strongly identify with with the left even with people who i don't think are mmts yet is because i think that we do nevertheless share values and i just think that mmt is you know you need that non-zero-sum vision in order to realize them and in order to not just be plunged into a huge kind of pessimism you know and, and you saw that kind of like when we opened with the with the chapo clip you know i mean matt chrisman was just extremely, extremely pessimistic. Uh, you know, a- Amber was was in the acceptance stage of grieving already, and was ready to <laughs> ready to move on to to newer and better um, anti woke alliances. Yeah, coalitions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, just another good member of my coalition that I need to win. Yeah, and it's funny because it, we this is this is a sort of nice way to actually think about what came of Bernie's campaign that was actually quite quite inspiring which was and you know i think the impulses are there too even within chapo like there's a mm-hmm. lot of things that they talked about and did that was that was really moving and 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 important but the the brooklyn rally with aoc when bernie said to you know look around to your left and right mm-hmm. and and really see the the shared humanity um of everyone it, it really foregrounds the fact that you know i'm sure people look to their left and they looked to their right, and there were people in the top five percent of the tax bracket. Right. right. I mean, which is not to say that people in the top five percent of the tax bracket aren't privileged in some sense, or don't have more power, or don't have far too much power mm-hmm. over the political process. That's not the point. The point is, is that 
You don't need their money. Yeah, we, we shouldn't. You don't need their money. We shouldn't be hearing from that. Are you willing to pay higher taxes for somebody that is different from you? You no. know, or something. <laughs> right. Uh, and that's not what Bernie was saying either. Yeah. Right. Then that's that's important. And that's one of the things that, you know, which is why Bernie Bernie is so important for the left. But it but it it's it's one thing to to say Bernie is all we have and mm-hmm. will ha- ever have. And it's another thing. And, and his ideas were all we have or all we'll ever have. And it's another thing altogether to say there are kernels of a path here. Uh-huh. We need to hone them. We need to develop them. We need to build a cohesive vision out of them and leverage every site of power we have over the political process along the way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's profoundly pessimistic to me to, to look at this situation where because Bernie lost, even though we are now completely throwing paying for coronavirus relief out the window. The first time we've done that for anything like ever in decades, you know, you have, right, right. Yeah. (laughs) Except on the terms of, you know, um, righteous exclusion that we're going to need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but no, like this is, this, this really is, is the first time in a while that like, there is an ideological paradigm shift <laughs> and yeah. you know, I mean, there's Ross Duthat was just on, on the daily, you know, the other day, Ross Duthat, the New York times oh, columnist. You have to listen to that. I'm sorry, Will. Yeah. Well, you know, li- living it at home during the summer has its perks and then it's not so perks, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, even he was saying that, that he, he thinks that, you know, now social democracy is on the table more or less. Mm-hmm. So he's more optimistic than the left is. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, we could critique even what the, his conception of social democracy is, but I think Yeah, to the extent that yeah. he wasn't lamenting it, it's probably because it was just like some kind of heron book like <laughs> you know, um Scandinavia uh for white yeah, people. We can um, have a little bit of Scandinavian racism as a treat. Um, yeah, so like I, I just want to just want to cap off the reading from from Fozzie with, you know, what 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 it all leads up to for him. This is not an argument against the evolution of national identity. It's an argument for respecting a national community's right to have a say in the pace and form that such evolution takes to ignore the latter is quite simply political suicide. Um, I just I love the use of the word suicide here because it just it it completely it it just completely gets across that creation is not an option if if we lose if things change it's because we're dead that's right yeah it's only a death drive right that's all there is so he uh he says we're now in a position to offer a different explanation of social conservatism this is simply society's self-defense against those factors internal or external that are perceived as threatening its members need for community belonging rootedness and identity signed carl schmidt yeah um. i mean that that is just like holy shit the mask is off yeah. um yeah, yeah I, I i don't know how you have internal <laughs> setting aside the problematic external thing but like the fact that they're internal you know that there are people who are internal to our society who really are external to it because they, they're not part of the program. You know, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's the, the nationalist 
conception of the the Marxist idea of what the economy is, you know, which is, you know, this is the material world the way that it is. You know, this is the material political body the way that it is. Yeah. And all all we can do really is safeguard, you know, just kind of, yeah, very, very slowly improve yeah. things, but not too quickly. And it's, it's really interesting also that this is, this is basically how Crystal Ball will talk about anti-racism mm-hmm. or transgender issues or anything yeah. like that, yeah. you know, where, where she will kind of say, you know, of course, I'm on your side, on, you know, on this one, leftist, but you, you have to understand that these things are going to take time. She, she talks about, you know, managed progressivism <laughs> in the same way that, that people like Fozzie are talking about managed migration as well as managed progressivism. Yeah. And I mean, we've been going for a little while here, but I, I do think as we're sort of starting to wrap up this first episode and think about the way we move forward, it's important to say that at some level, right, we're, we, we hear, are wholehearted proponents of a non-zero-sum material vision for uh, for the left. But at the level of ideas, this is not a view that should be tolerated. Yeah, we're not right? we're not I mean, interested right? in a debate with Crystal Ball. No, we're not. We're not interested in a debate. Um, she represents a, a reactionary, anti-left trend. And and that has to be that's a trend that has to be stamped out and and we have to win that debate. And so it's important to say, like, non-zero sum is not a sort of participation trophy for all of the competing intellectual approaches to <laughs> left wing progress. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't don't confuse the fact that we allow a space for all people for all life to flourish. And we demand that space as allowing a space for ideas that, that are predicated on the opposite of that, that are predicated on the opposite of that. Yeah. And that is the central gambit. I think of, of, of this podcast. And ultimately, ultimately I think the, the, the rise of the MMT project and the MMT movement through things like the modern money network is, has been through the insistence on that non-zero-sum vision as a matter, not just of a sort of intellectual fancy or we would like it to be this way, but as a matter of the technical facts, a matter of the the, the technical <clears throat> operations themselves. And that that's the vision. Yeah. I, I think it's a pretty good place to leave it as well. <laughs>